Our scripture lesson for today, the third Sunday of the season of Lent, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The Apostle Paul writes, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. The word of the Lord. O people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Many of you are aware, I've talked about this before, that sometimes as I am preparing a message, the preparation work comes very easily. And I kind of get, get it in my head very quickly what I'm going to talk about, what I'm going to say. Other times it fights me. And in those times when it's really fighting me, I spend a great deal, a long time, just walking around, pacing through the church, running over things in my head, trying to get things to line up. And this week was one of those weeks. This one was a hard one. And I kind of had some ideas in my head, but I was really struggling with getting them to line up. And then all of a sudden, as I was doing this work, as I was walking around the church, as I was frustratingly, metaphorically smacking my head against the wall, my phone dinged at me with a text from a friend of mine. Now, this, this is one of my old, oldest friends. I've known him for a long time. We've, we've, we grew up together. We've hung out a lot together. We know each other really well. And one of the things that we like to do uh, is, is we do online video gaming together, or online gaming, it's one of the things we do. And it's actually very common on a Friday, kind of through the afternoon usually, when both of us have our work done for the day that we'll text each other, and that's one of the times that we connect. And that was the basis for this text that he sent me. And it kind of gave me a chuckle, because the exact thing that he said really tried to highlight a point that I was thinking about. His text said, hey man, FYI, TGIF, BYOB, I'm home if you're ready to game. Maybe you recognized the presence of acronyms in that message. He used several of them, and they're one of those things that have really gotten themselves into our common language. Acronyms are everywhere. Now, if you know what they mean, as soon as I said those letters for each one, you know exactly what it meant. Hey, man, FYI, for your information. TGIF, thank goodness it's Friday. BYOB, bring your own beverage or beer if you're of that bent. And then he says, I'm home if you're ready to game. Now, interestingly enough, the idea of gaming is where I started sort of thinking about this idea of acronyms in the first place, because there's one from the gaming world that was made popular a few years back in one of the early episodes of the great, great TV show, Big Bang Theory. 
And this acronym is AFK, which means away from keyboard. In the gaming world, if you have to put down your controller or step away from the keyboard and your character is just going to be idle in the game, you say that I'm AFK so that the people you're playing with know why you're just standing there not doing anything. All of this idea of acronyms brings me to the point that I really want to make. And it's because of a t-shirt that a friend gave me as a gift a few years ago because of my day job. It's a pastor joke in every sense of the word. And folks, it's made up of acronyms, and here's the t-shirt. YOLO, LOL, JK, BRB. If you know what those mean, as soon as I say them, you know what it means. YOLO, you only live once. LOL, laugh out loud. JK, just kidding, BRB, I'll be right back. And then as you can see, it's signed, Jesus. This shirt, though it's a joke, and it's maybe a groaner of a dad slash pastor joke, it actually speaks to the truth of the gospel, and mainly the gospel that we see over the course of Holy Week. You only live once, just kidding, I'll be right back. I bring all of this up because that begins to connect into our scripture lesson for today, this reading from 1 Corinthians. Now, before I really get into that, we need to give a little bit of background. If you happen to catch last week's uh, video or if you were here in worship, we talked about the Apostle Paul and we talked about his letter to the Romans and then we also talked about a little bit of background. One of the things that it's important to remember about the Apostle Paul, he wrote all of these different letters, these letters that make up so much of the New Testament, and he wrote all of them to different individuals or communities in different places for different reasons because of their present circumstances. Now, while all of these letters, I believe, are, are Holy Spirit-inspired and they still give us, uh, give us something to think about, they're important for us now, they were intended for a specific purpose, and that's still the same here. Now, the thing about the Apostle Paul, perhaps more than almost any other figure in the New Testament, his work of ministry, his, his ongoing missionary journeys, his, his work to establish various churches in all kinds of different places were instrumental in spreading the Christian faith or, or the way, as it was known at that time, around the Roman Empire, around the known world. He traveled, and he would come into a place, and he would, he would stay there, and he would help establish a community of faith, and then eventually he would move on. One of these places was in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a city right in the middle of Greece. There, the people there were greatly inspired or greatly affected by the Greek way of life. So I, I, things of like education, ideas of, of debate, ideas of philosophy, ideas of theology, all these different things would help shape that particular group of people. Now, something happened between Paul's time there and after he left and then the writing of 1 Corinthians. This ongoing thing, because we have 1 Corinthians and we also have 2 Corinthians, and scholars believe that there were actually probably a few more letters that were going back and forth between Paul and the, the community at Corinth. Something happened between when he left and this first letter that began to reveal a little bit of truth to us. Now, here's the thing about Paul. Like we already said, very, very important for the spread of the gospel. And Paul, he's probably one of those people that we think of as being almost like an apostle Superman because his work is so important. And Paul certainly had his strengths. We know he was a wonderful, wonderful writer. 
very persuasive writer. And we also know that he was excellent at forming connections with individuals in person, that he was very, very good at that personal connection with, with different people. But the other thing about Paul is like all of us, while he had his strengths, he also had his weaknesses. He had those things that he wasn't so good at. And as we read between the lines, not just here, but throughout a lot of Paul's writings, we learn that he's not the strongest public speaker, that his public ministry persona might leave a little something to be desired. Now, after Paul left Corinth, some other apostles, some other individuals, some other teachers, whatever we want to call them, they came in and it seemed like they maybe had some strengths where Paul did not. And because of their ability to influence, because of their good ability of public speaking, of making arguments, of whatever, they began to sway that community of faith in Corinth away from the teachings that Paul had, had given them. And that is what he's writing about. That's what this ongoing back and forth thing is, is, is talking about as he continuously loses favor as, as it, it's swayed away from him. And what's central to his gospel, to his teaching, to his understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ is present here today. While he talks about where is the, the debater, where is the scribe, where are the orators, where are all these smart, wise people that even if they are around, that ultimately does not matter because wisdom or, or smarts or, or smart thinking cannot bring us in connection with God. Rather, we hear the central aspect of Paul's entire theology, his entire gospel, his entire teaching. It boils down to this. We proclaim Christ crucified. We proclaim Christ in weakness. That is the central now, keep in mind, when I started this whole thing, I was talking about this t-shirt and this pastor joke, this almost laughable take on the truth of the gospel that Jesus was, was lived, it was lived, that he lived and that he died and then he rose again. Think about that logically. When we really consider the gospel that we proclaim, isn't it almost laughable? Isn't it really kind of hard to, to fathom how this could possibly actually be because logically that doesn't work. I mean, think about the large overarching narrative that we find in the Bible. I can only imagine if we go clear back to the beginning and some of those earliest people as they begin to become aware, maybe there were two, two people that were like hanging around and one of them was like, man, check this out. And the other one's like, what? And he's like, this. Look at this world that we are a part of. The beautiful sky and the clouds, the stars that shine at night. Look at the immensity of the mountains. Look at the enormity that is the ocean. Look at the gorgeous nature of the lakes and the rivers and the streams. Look at all of the plants that cover the face of the ground. Look at the amazing diversity of the animals and the birds. All of that, and that also includes us. Whoa, that's amazing. But to think that gradually as, as people begin to be aware of this amazing world that we're a part of, that we are in as well, then eventually they start to think, well, I wonder where it came from. I wondered that too. Where did it come from? Well, someone or something or some force must have caused it to happen. It must have, must have been made by someone or something, some force that's bigger than we are because I can't just be like, I want there to be water and make there be water. We can't do that. It's bigger than we are. 
So there was an awareness that there is some power, some force, some entity out there that's more than we are. And then gradually, that force, that entity, we'll call them God perhaps, began to communicate with us and to reveal to humanity that yes, I did create all this. God somehow made all of this reality and then it comes from a place of God's delight and God's joy that that's where all this creation came from. But God also realized this force, this entity, this this God also realized that things are not as it could be. That there is there are there's brokenness that somehow hinders the, this good existence and this good relationship that should exist between individuals and between a person and the world that they're a part of and between the person and God. And so God continuously over and over again gives gifts of ways to begin to reunite that that harmony, that intended harmony, and it never quite works out it's good, but it never quite works until finally God decides to take the ultimate step and really do something about the brokenness of this world. And then God does that, which is utterly unthinkable in that God becomes human. And not only human, but God becomes a helpless baby born in the middle of nowhere. It goes on from there. And that helpless baby grows up grows into a man, and this man is revealed to be both fully human and fully God at the same time. Completely and totally one of us, and yet utterly different in that the power of God, the power of that which is divine, is lies within him, and he's able to teach with authority and preach with authority, and he has authority over demons, and he has authority over diseases. He even has authority over death. We see that over and over again, and he's showing us over and over and over again that this God made human will do whatever it takes to free someone from that which hinders them, to allow them access into this good existence, this existence that is somehow in harmony with everything. But here's the thing. This new way of being that Jesus was showing us, that Jesus was somehow making possible, that God was enlightening us about, that's a threat to the powers of the world and how the way that things always work. The, the power of the world that says, I'm stronger than you and you can join me or else I'll just kill you and do what I want. That power of the world was so threatened by this new way of being that Jesus was literally embodying that it killed him. Now here's the thing where logic starts to get a little bit strange because death is final. Death marks the end of an existence. And we see this time and time and time again. And logic says that when death comes on the picture, that is it. But the amazing thing about this, the amazing thing about the vulnerability that God, the laughable idea that God would become human and then God would die is overcome after a couple of days when that stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was alive again, somehow overcoming that which logic says is supposed to be the end. That's the gospel, that the ultimate power of God to overcome that which limits everything, the the ultimate sign of limitation, that being death, that God overcomes it through death and through the power of the cross, the ultimate display of weakness is actually the ultimate display of God's immense power. This is the mind-blowing reality of the gospel that we proclaim. And folks, when we think about it, it's almost laughable, but it shouldn't be. Because here's the thing. We all experience those times in our lives 
when the forces of the world that are working against us, when the forces of whatever is going on is weighing down on us and our ultimate vulnerability and weakness is on display, when we realize, I can't do this. I have no power to do this. I have no way of doing this. And as I have talked with individuals time after time after time over the course of my entire lifetime, and as we've shared stories of those times when the world was weighing us down and the ultimate display of the world's power was showing us how weak we really are, they have told it time and time and time again how they found strength, they found hope, they found joy in the presence of another person who came alongside them and was there in community, in relationship to support them. And this is where it all ties together. Because the same Holy Spirit that rested upon Jesus and empowered him to do amazing things also resides within us. The divine spirit of God resides within you and empowers you to do that which is ultimately impossible, to be community for someone when they need you. This is the power of the gospel that we proclaim. The gospel that unites us in our common humanity, under a common God who loves and claims all of us and desires all of us to be together in community with one another and community with God, and who will ultimately show us through that ultimate display of weakness the true power of God that claims all of us and draws all the world to us. We might run into a time after time after time in our own lives when the power of the world seems like it's more than we can handle. The times when we are reminded of our frailty, the times when we are reminded of our weakness and the ultimate weakness that is shown as life comes to a close with death. And we might feel the truth. You only live once. But let us remember that Jesus takes that that the power of God is on display through that cross, turns it on its ear when God says, just kidding, I'll be right back. That's the power of the gospel that we proclaim.